Hey, I'm Vance. I'm in the mix. VegCast. For VegCast 56. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, here it is, VegCast 56. Another full menu of vegetarian podcastery coming your way and this time out i'm happy to say that we are talking with sarah kramer one half of the eccentric duo who produced how it all began and garden of vegan and uh, she went on to do la dolce vegan she's now got a new book vegan a go go which is about being vegan on the road traveling and uh, some tips recipes and everything for you there we'll be talking about that as well as uh, the arc of her career as a vegan uh, author and cookbook writer uh, we'll also have some music from a pretty famous vegan that uh, VegCast listeners will be probably familiar with. And as always, a science fact, this one might best be summed up in the words, beware of eggs. That's actually one of the headlines, but not the one that I chose to uh, take this article from. But we'll be learning all about why you might want to be aware of eggs on this VegCast. All of that is going to be coming up. And uh, so as usual, I would exhort you to uh, crank up your iPod, your MP3 player, whatever you have handy, and uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy, if possible, as we deliver to you this 56th edition of VegCast. Okay, let's get right to that Sarah Kramer interview. As you will note during this interview, I was really hoping to get this entire VegCast wrapped up and out over the Thanksgiving weekend, at least by the end of the weekend, and now it's into December, and we're just now wrapping this up. So what I said about people still being traveling back from Thanksgiving, well, you know, some people will go and stay an extra day or maybe, you know, take off a a week after Thanksgiving and do that. So it could still be true. Uh, But barring that, I think uh, the rest of the interview is pretty interesting, so let's go right to that now. Okay, right now, VegCast is very happy and excited to announce that we have Sarah Kramer in the house. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. As I was saying before, you know, I got to, having you on, we have to really uh, kick it up a a couple of notches. Uh, So thank you for being here on VegCast. Oh, it's really exciting. Thank you for inviting me. Well, and uh, obviously the key thing that uh, we want to uh, talk about is your latest book, uh, Vegan I Go Go, and I understand you have a calendar also, but before we get to that, uh, for those of us, uh, let me just explain to VegCast listeners, I, like many people, uh, originally encountered you with the book How It All Vegan, uh, and have kind of been following your progress ever since, but... Uh, can you give people kind of a capsule uh, history of uh, how you b- became a, uh, you know, a well-known vegan cookbook author? Yeah, well, How It All Began came out, um, actually it'll be 10 years uh, next year, next September. Um, and it, it actually started um, just sort of as a, as a fluke. Uh, my co-author Tanya and I were, uh, you know, a couple of poor punk rock kids living in a big punk rock house. And we, um, Christmas was coming and we couldn't afford to buy presents. So we were trying to think of what we could do to make ourselves 
um, like we wanted to make a present that we could give to our friends and family. And um, Tanya came up with the idea of doing a cookbook. So we did a little homemade zine uh, that we called How It All Began. It was about 50 pages. And uh, we, you know, threw that together on my computer, and we printed it out and bound it ourselves in the living room, and um, gave it away to friends and family. And everybody fell in love with it. They, it, uh, the response to it was uh, amazing. Um, so then we printed another thousand copies and started selling them at punk rock shows. And I started selling them on the internet. Uh, Ten years ago, you know, the internet was sort of a newfangled thing, right. uh, if you can believe it. And um, uh, yeah, we sold out almost right away. And uh, I sort of had a light bulb mo- moment, and I thought, um, you know, hey, I think we're onto something. So uh, we wrote a cheeky book proposal and sent it off to uh, half a dozen. Uh, Canadian publishers um, in the hopes that um, this one publisher in particular in Vancouver would uh, accept us, um, and they were called Arsenal Pulp Press, and um, we sent off our book proposals, and three days later, Arsenal Pulp Press called us and said we want to do a book deal. So, I mean, it, it was just sort of right place, right time. Um, and then, uh, so we signed, we, you know, we signed on to do uh, a bigger version of How It All Began, and uh, a year later, um, How It All Began came out. And then, you know, 10 years later, and, you know, 200,000-plus copies have been sold. And it's the best-selling book that Arsenal Pulp has ever had. And it, it's just it's the little engine that could, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. So it's, it's been an amazing, amazing journey for me. Um, and then after How It All Began, with the success of that book, um, the fans really wanted another one. So Tanya and I wrote The Garden of Vegan, and um, that did really well. And then Tanya decided to leave and uh, pursue a different career. She wanted to go into nursing school. So um, I was left on my own to, to write La Dolce Vegan, which came out a couple years ago. And uh, that did really well. <laughs> and then uh, since How It All Began, I, I get emails all the time from people who are, you know, visiting family or traveling. And, and they'll say to me, you know, I'm visiting my grandma in Kalamazoo, and I want to make her, you know, such and such recipe. Can you send me the recipe because I don't travel with my cookbooks? And so I've had this sort of little idea in my head for a while uh, about making a travel-sized cookbook. And so um, with Vegan Agogo, what it is is uh, it's sort of a best-of book. So you have the best-of recipes from the first three cookbooks, and there's also 20 new recipes in there as well. And um, the majority of the recipes in there are very easy to make uh, with easy-to-find ingredients. Because, you know, I mean, I live on the West Coast, so I'm, I'm very lucky here. Uh, you know, finding um, vegan in- ingredients is, is really easy for me. I can find what I need at the corner store. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes if you go to Regina, Saskatchewan, or, or you're in the middle of the country, uh, it's not easy to find tofu and that sort of thing. So... Um, all the recipes in Vegan Agogo are labeled, so you know if there's, you know, if there's difficult ingredients to find, you have to bring them with you, or if you can find everything you need at the local, local, local supermarket. Cool. Now, I, I should point out uh, one of the interesting things about how it all began is that it's, it's a cookbook, but it's also, uh, I mean, it, it's so much more. There's, um, I mean, you have uh, how to make your own cleaning supplies, how to do these things that are basically crafts that you could do around food, and just all kinds of fun stuff that is is uh, both utilitarian yeah. and uh, yet also has a kind of quirky style to it. So yeah, well, to me, um, how it all began was was you know, I mean, it is a cookbook, but but to me, it was always sort of more of a lifestyle book, and um, and you know, while veganism is really centered around food, it is really about your lifestyle, about changing your whole lifestyle, not just what you eat, uh, but what you wear and and the products that you buy or don't buy. And, um, yeah, so how, with How It All Began, I had a real clear vision of, of it. I wanted it to be sort of a, a you know, a, a newbie's guide to, to becoming vegan. And um, uh, and then the other books are just a progression of that. 
And the other books, I have to say that um, they, it seems to me that uh, certainly in Vegan Agogo, you say you're, it's a best of, so you're, you're reusing some recipes, but uh, you kind of knock those, those next two books out really fast. And I have to ask about the process of, of being a cookbook author that is just, uh, you know, cranking books out. You, you think of a, a mystery writer or something, and <laughs> they, can, they can just sit there and come up with a new story that's basically the same kind of thing. But cookbook recipes, you know, it seems like a laborious process to come up with all these recipes, test them, and, yeah. and say, yeah, this one works, this one doesn't, and get enough that you have another book already. Well, with Vegan and Go-Go, it was a lot different than the other three books um, because it was more like putting together a puzzle, um, you know, just trying to find which recipes work best for the the book. And um, I didn't have to recipe test a lot of the recipes because they'd already been tested because they were from the other books. And then, you know, I'm always writing recipes. It's just, you know, um, it's just habit. So anytime I'm making something new in the kitchen, I always write it down. So um, I've had some time since La Dolce Vegan to sort of collect some, some new recipes. And so... Um, when I wanted to add some new recipes to Vegan A Go-Go, I had a little notebook sort of full of, of recipes that I'd been uh, making up uh, over the last couple of years. Um, but also I have a lot of reader input. Uh, the readers of my books are, are really generous with um, sending me recipes. Um, and and I, I've always looked at the books as sort of, um, you know, uh, creating a community of, uh, of like-minded people. And so uh, it's, it's uh, I'm so honored that people want to share their recipe with me so that I can share it with the rest of the rest of the readers. Um, and so with every book, we've, we've um, you know, besides making up recipes, we've, we've also had people who submit recipes, and, and uh, it's a lot of fun to try, to try new recipes. Right, and it's, it's certainly fun uh, when we have your books to do that with. And in Vegan Agogo, uh, I just, we wanted to get into the aspect of holiday traveling because, uh, you know, when this comes out, uh, it'll still be Thanksgiving weekend. People uh, who may get this at that point be traveling or going somewhere for Hanukkah, for Christmas, for whatever uh, before the new year. Um, is there is there anything about this time of year that makes it harder or easier to uh, to be accommodated or to find things, or is it is is it basically you know the same all year round? Well, I think anytime you go your family <laughs> and they're, and if they're not vegan or vegetarian right. I, I I think um, especially if there's a lot of family who are all there um, I think it's it's difficult um, uh, under the best of circumstances but when you throw you know I don't eat this into the mix I think sometimes it can be um, uh, uncomfortable for people who don't understand your lifestyle um, and so what I always tell people is to you know it, you know they say I'm going to my aunt's or, or you know my whoever's um, house for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever what do I do I always say bring your own meal. Um, make sure that you have an entree and, and maybe a dessert that you can eat, but make enough so that everybody can share. And, um, you know, if the person who is making the meal or, or the people who are making the meal are uncomfortable with you bringing food, um, I always say then, you know, come come later, come for dessert. Um, you know, if they don't understand your lifestyle, you know, uh, a holiday is, is not the time to discuss it. Uh, you're there to, you know, to, to be together and, and, and to love each other and, and, and to not argue about um, about animal rights at the table. But um, right. but I, I always come prepared. Uh, e- you know, even if my family is like, you know, oh, well, we're going to make mashed potatoes and, and they'll be vegan, um, sometimes they don't understand that things like butter or milk <laughs> uh, is not vegan. So right. I, I usually bring something that I know I can eat because I I've, I've made it myself. But on the, it, that's great when you're, I mean, there's a whole, uh, you know, aspect to dealing with family members. But when you're in between, when you're actually literally on the road, 
Uh, I mean, it seems like a tall order to give people a lot of uh, advice about that because it may depend on where you are. And you're, uh, you travel around and everything, but you're, you're based in Canada. Did you have to, like, go driving around the USA and all of North America to try to get, or as much as you could, to try to get an idea of where you might be able to find this, where you could find that? Well, I do travel quite a bit for the for the cookbooks. When I'm promoting the cookbooks, I uh, I travel across North America um, doing promotion, um, and so that's sort of where my my wealth of experience comes from. And and what I found is, I mean, it's, and it's the simplest advice there is. But um, if you're going to travel somewhere, be prepared. Uh, that's my my biggest advice. So if you know, if I I knew I was going to Boston, um, so I got on uh, Google and I started searching out Boston and and what sort of vegan vegetarian stuff. Uh, was there for me. Um, you know, I went to Regina, Saskatchewan, which is my hometown, um, and it wasn't a veg- very vegetarian-friendly city when I was there uh, when I was a kid, um, but things have really changed. So luckily I went on to, you know, happycow.net and vegdining.com, and um, there's, there's tons of websites out there that will tell you what is vegetarian-friendly in the city so that you know, so that you can be prepared. So if you're going somewhere and there's only one health food store and there's no restaurants for you to eat at, you know that you probably need to you know, uh, put some uh, extra supplies in your bag. But if you're going to somewhere like New York or San Francisco where vegan food is a plenty, uh, then you can just uh, leave your bag empty so that you can buy vegan shoes. You know what I'm saying? So right. um, my biggest advice is to just be prepared before you leave. Um, but, you know, anytime I leave the house, I really never leave without having food in my purse. Um, I always have like a, a Vega bar uh, or a little bag of nuts and seeds or an, or an apple because there's nothing worse than being stuck somewhere and not being able to find something healthy to eat. Very true. And so uh, people will definitely want to pack vegan agogo with them wherever they're going. And I understand... Uh, Coming up next, you have a calendar coming out. Is it is it a pinup calendar or what? It is, it is a pinup calendar, really? and uh, we've also sort of we're making fun. Uh, you know how I love to make fun of sort of uh, '50s uh, kitschy culture. Right. Uh, so uh, there's stuff in there like uh, Attack of the the Killer Tomatoes. Only we're doing Attack of the Delicious Tomatoes. Uh, we did uh, sort of a, a play on um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Only it's Breakfast at Sarah's. So it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a really fun silly calendar, and uh, we we got really crazy with the photos and, and had a really good time. So so that comes out in June, um, and there's information about that on my website at govegan.net. Um, but I did want to say that with Vegan Agogo, um, I just I wanted everybody to know that it's small, it's teeny tiny, it's about the size, a little bit bigger than a passport, uh-huh. and it doesn't weigh very much. So you can carry it with you in your purse or your your backpack, and and it doesn't take up a lot of room. But it, it has a ton of recipes in there for you to make. So you can you can literally take it with you, and I mean, if a situation comes up, you you just whip it out out of your back pocket and look it up, and Sarah Kramer tells you how to how to make the most of that situation. Yeah, and also um, uh, what I wasn't expecting is is that people are just carrying it around in their purse. Um, I thought that people would just use it for when they travel, but a lot of my friends are just carrying it in their bag so that when they're going from work to home and they go to pick up groceries at the market, they just pull out the cookbook and and see what they need for whatever recipe. So that was something that I wasn't anticipating, but uh, I, I love it when people get crafty. Right. Well, let me just ask, uh, you, you did mention the calendar coming out in June. You've made your name in books, but, uh, you know, it's no news to you that, uh, you know, you have this dynamic personality and everything. I'm wondering, are you, uh, are you getting ready to take over other media? Is there, you know, uh, the Sarah Kramer, T- Kramer TV show in the works or anything that, like that that we might look forward to? 
am working on uh, quite a few things. I actually can't talk about them right now. Oh, of course, of uh, course. But um, yeah, I got I got a few a few pies in the oven, and and when they're ready, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> okay, great, and we will be sure to let uh, our VegCast <laughs> listeners know then. And uh, we're about out of time, but Sarah Kramer, I want to thank you again for coming in and rocking the house here on VegCast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Take care. is Moby 
from his new album, or his new-ish album, Last Night with 257.0. Very intriguing lyric there. Kind of reminds you of Einstein on the beach with the old counting to music phenomenon. But if you are counting on eggs as part of a healthy diet, then you'd better listen to this upcoming science Our science fact for VegCast 56 is one that may be of interest to our lacto-ovo vegetarian listeners out there. The headline is, An Egg a Day Raises Risk of Diabetes. Now, as I said at the outset, uh, one of my favorite headlines on these was, Beware of Eggs. Uh, But that article didn't have as much detail, so I had to go with this one. Uh, This is from MedPage Today. Uh, The dateline is Boston, and the lead is people who eat eggs every day may substantially increase their risk of type 2 diabetes, researchers here in Boston said. Men with the highest level of egg consumption at 7 or more per week were 58% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes than those who did not eat eggs. And women were 77% more likely to become diabetic if they ate at least an egg a day. Luc Jusset, MD, DSC of a Brigham and Women's Hospital in Harvard, and colleagues reported online in Diabetes Care. Now, I wanted to point out, uh, 58% more likely, 77% more likely, That's a, those are pretty big numbers. Usually if uh, researchers find a likelihood that increases by 10, 15, 20%, they'll say, all right, well, this is uh, significant. Uh, but this is, uh, as they say in the lead, substantially increasing the risk of diabetes. Uh, levels of egg intake above one a week, it says, increased diabetes risk in both men and women. Uh, Eggs are a major source of dietary cholesterol, about 200 milligrams per egg, and add about 1.5 grams of saturated fat to the diet. The story goes on to mention that uh, previous to this, the limited primarily animal model evidence for an effect of eggs or dietary cholesterol on glucose metabolism has been inconsistent. So to sort out the effects, they uh, actually looked at the effects of eggs on People. Their analysis included 20,703 male physicians without baseline diabetes from the Physician's Health Study and 36,295 similarly diabetes-free female health professionals from the Women's Health Study. And uh, this was a, there was a follow-up over 20 years in men and 11.7 years in women. So this is a large cohort, a lot of people, a lot of time uh, looking at uh, how this phenomenon progressed and pretty clearly If uh, you happen to eat an egg a day, whether a man or woman, you are really substantially increasing your your risk of diabetes. Of course, uh, this doesn't mean if you don't eat an egg a day that you're free and clear. They uh, uh, probably will do some follow-up studies about this. But I just wanted to throw this in because uh, the egg industry and the animal foods industry in general have done a great job of keeping the public confused about whether eggs are a health food whether they're okay to eat, whether there's uh, any reason that you should eat them. And, of course, they are a concentrated source of protein because they, they have a, uh, a little, uh, you know, uh, embryo inside them. Uh, but they come with a lot of problems, uh, cholesterol and saturated fat being just part of that. And this uh, finally documents that. 
and I would like to also just underscore the fact that uh, one of the things that has been helpful in keeping that confusing is testing these things on animals where you can uh, get various conflicting reports and then come out and say, oh, eggs are okay. Oh, no, maybe they're, oh, they're fine. Oh, you should eat more eggs. And go on and on and on about that. Uh, I once again advocate that in order to determine the positive and or negative effects of different nutritive issues, tests on living humans uh, wherever possible should be done uh, before we start uh, telling people uh, what they should and shouldn't eat. But at this point, at any rate, we have a pretty clear indication that at the very least an egg a day, which is what a lot of Americans are out there consuming at the very least, an egg a day is going to increase your risk of diabetes. And uh, that's not to say what else it may be out there increasing your risk of, but we can definitely nail that down. And uh, that's the kind of thing that tends to get nailed down when we hear the science. Okay, before we go, I want to point you all to a pamphlet that I think is a pretty well-done explanation of some of the reasons behind veganism. And that is uh, put out by the Boston Vegan Association uh, and Eric Prescott, who longtime VegCast listeners may recall uh, back in the first uh, handful of VegCasts, uh, when we mentioned other uh, vegetarian vegan podcasts, Eric uh, was doing a podcast called An Animal Friendly Life, tied to his site of the same name. And now he's branching out into uh, various media. And I just mention this because it is a, a good summation, I think, of some of the ideas presented by Gary Francione in his books uh, about why uh, – People already believe in what they need to believe in to become vegans. They just uh, aren't looking at the logical connections, and it's laying those logical connections out, which Gary tends to do at length and somewhat repetitively in his books. And uh, I, he knows that I feel this way. I've told him this, uh, and he tries to kind of get it pithier. But this uh, this is really very concise and well done, and I realize there are some VegCast listeners who will disagree with me about this, and I could have quibbled with uh, some of the uh, the imagery. I thought the kittens were a little bit uh, over the top, but uh, all told, it's a good uh, example of uh, vegan literature, in my opinion, and you can check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but now it's about time to wrap up VegCast 56. Veg. Okay, that will do it. And before we go, I would like to say thank you to Sarah Kramer, the vegan agogo author, for talking with us on VegCast. And remember to check that out and take it with you during any holiday travels. Thanks also, of course, to Moby for uh, giving me permission to play his music on VegCast. And thank you for downloading VegCast. You can find us at iTunes or you can... Subscribe at VegCast.com. We'll be back with you later in the month. And until then, get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.